They shoot the shit. They shoot, they shoot the shit. Shoot, 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 shit, shit, shit. Shooting the shit with Chippa. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Shooting the Shit with Chippa, yet another podcast where I talk to people on the internet, except they're not my brother, Movie Bob. Um, before I get into who my guest is today, do a little bit of uh, show housekeeping. Um, for everyone in my $15 or more patron group, that's Mason, Christopher Finnick, Patricia Chipman, UK Campbell Jr., Alex Peregrine, Kevin CV, Mike the Gatherer, and Tyler Freshcorn, I like to say your names live on air. All of those people are awesome people. If you run into them on Twitter, um, in Discord chats, or anywhere else, um, please check them out. Um, yeah, so that's that. Um, today's podcast, like a lot of my um, podcasts, are brought to you uh, by the Geeks with Shields podcast. Each week, hosts Axel and Ulrich provide a nerdy escape from the darkest timeline, talking everything from comics to long-forgotten movies and TV shows. If the darkest timeline has you down, check out the Geeks with Shields podcast for all your nerdy needs. And now to get to today's guest. Today's guest um, is an interesting uh, one because we've been interacting on Twitter for about as long as I've had a Twitter. Um, fan of my brothers, fan of mine. And we ended up meeting up at PAX East. And what I didn't know until that day, or maybe just before that day, is that um, he actually knew my wife from high school. So introduce yourself to the world, good sir. Hey, Chris. Thanks. Uh, I'm Reed Davenport. You might know me on Twitter as Mr. Fantastic. Uh, don't really have much on my way to promote. I don't really do a podcast or anything, but I'm glad to be here and talk about completely nerdy and geeky stuff. And I mean, uh, as we discussed prior to this, there's actually some interesting news that broke earlier today that we can get discussing about absolutely so um in in the wake in the eve of star wars um the uh rise of skywalker releasing in just three days and the internet filling up with all of this stuff that you're going to be trying to avoid about the rise of skywalker this podcast will have nothing to do with the rise of skywalker other than just saying that we're both excited to see it and um, maybe we'll jump into theories or something at some point, but we haven't seen it. We'd rather talk about another um, Lucasfilm enterprise that out of all of, you know, whatever you care about Disney, whether it's, oh, they're awful for buying up the things that I like and giving me more of the things I like. How dare you give me more of the things I like <laughs> seems to be uh, what everybody's anger with Disney is, even though. Remember, folks, the things you like are there to make money first and foremost. That's why they're there. Um but we don't have to get into that because they still have to make you happy. They've announced a redoing or a television show. I would assume similar to the dark crystal age of resistance type of approach with Willow. Uh, Reed, yeah. How does that make you feel? I'm pretty excited. Uh, I'm also going to hold off being too excited until they're like, Hey, we've written it and we're filming it because we all know that projects like this can be announced. And then suddenly, the company says, well, we are going in a different direction. Oh, well, it's going to, like, we announced it, but it's not going to be made for five years. But that they, they're bringing any sort of attention to it um, is quite amazing. I mean, I'm quite thrilled that, if people don't already know this, Willow is on Disney+, Plus, which Yay! I don't think I realized was part of whatever property that they acquired. Um, and it's, like, predominantly shown as one of the... Uh, movies that is a non-Disney property, as far as I'm aware of, <laughs> to be promoted uh, on the main page. But, I mean, this is a movie that came out when, well, 
both of us were much younger, but I recall seeing it when it came out into theaters. And I probably saw it at least four times in the theaters. I owned the VHS copy of it. I owned the DVD copy of it. And now I own the anniversary Blu-ray copy of it. Now I obviously have it streaming on Disney Plus as well, which is great. And I mean, it's a very underrated and not well talked about movie because it didn't do so well in the theaters, which uh, is kind of stinks because uh, probably one of Val Kilmer's best works and great to see Warwick Davis getting a feature role like this that you, I don't think anybody could have guessed would happen, uh, especially at the time. Uh, but I think it's just a very underrated sci-fi movie and it's almost like Lord of the Rings two decades too soon. No, absolutely. It came about in, in basically the same time period as everybody and their mother was trying to either get the rights or got angry that they lost the rights or just wanted to do fantasy like the Lord of the Rings. I mean, this is where the Black Cauldron came from, right? Is Disney Disney had the rights to the Lord of the Rings. They gave it up to Ralph Bakshi, and then they went, oh, shit. <laughs> we wanted to do fantasy. Okay, so then they do this. And it's it's amazing that this didn't get the attention because, I mean, this is George Lucas producing a Ron Howard film, right? These are things that are supposed to come with, you know, gold, right? This is, this is George Lucas in the middle of his like greatest time. I don't think Howard the duck had happened yet. Right. Was this pre or post Howard the duck? I think this is post post Howard really? the duck. So, so but, maybe, okay. There were, there were a couple of digs there, yeah. <laughs> but, but I mean, I remember my, my first introduction, this, like you said, we went as a family and saw it in the theater and I remember I was really young. This was probably like what 88, 89, if I'm not mistaken. I believe 88. I can verify yeah. that in a second. So so I was 4. And um me and my brother, I mean like the same could be said with dinosaur stuff leading up to Jurassic Park. Fantasy for kids or fantasy that was acceptable for children was few and far between and it was usually low budget productions or television productions. You know, you had you had your Dragon Slayers which were okay for children they're not you know made for children but they're okay for children you had you know he-man and you know that kind of stuff but then you had things like excalibur that you really couldn't show your kids i mean the opening scene of excalibur is a freaking rape for christ's sakes right um it's not something you're going to show to your kids even though i saw it when i was pretty young but that's a conversation for a different day um but willow you know Willow seemed to be being made for children, but it was still dark fantasy. The opening sequences of that movie where I'm pretty sure they're searching for this yep. baby. Well, I mean, I, the whole thing I, is, yeah, the beginning, like as a kid, you're probably, uh, I mean, this is true of like a lot of movies people have grown up with. You rewatch it when you get older and you go, wow, that's actually pretty dark. And I never realized that. I mean, it starts off with, they're clearly looking for a gifted, like a special uh, girl that's supposed to be born and has a destiny to destroy the evil Queen Bab Morda. That's supposed to be like the hook of the story. Um, and they're like right off the bat, they're one, they're admitting they're killing off children or looking to kill off at least one child. And uh, she manages to convince the midwife to smuggle the child out. And then they find out the child's gone. And the first scene is like, oh, well. She got the kid away, killed the mother. And then, 
I mean, and this is a old movie, so I don't think we have to have a spoiler alert, but I mean, the whole opening sequence is the midwife trying to like get as far away as she can with the baby and eventually they catch up to her. She sends the baby down the stream, which is, oh yeah, that's a great idea. Um, and the dog things end up killing the midwife and that's the opening scrolling sequence, which is really just a lot to take in. It just starts you off dark. Um, I was listening recently to the school of movies podcast on the shining and, um, how they spoke about, you know, the book, the shining or the movie, the shining for a lot of people has sequences. And when you see them early enough, they become things that paint your view of fear. So you later in your life, you, you, see something or get into a scary situation and your mind goes to these sequences in these films or in these books that never actually happened to you. You realize they created your vision of what fear is and the opening sequences of this film and a large portion of Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, which came out very close together and were both, they were, you know, they're child properties, but being done in a very adult and very serious way really messed me up. I could imagine being a child and watching a lot of the Lord of the Rings stuff kind of the same way. Um, but a lot of my uh, foundation of what scares me goes back to these opening sequences and Queen Bav Morta herself. She's like this horrifying amalgamation of the evil queen from Snow White and Mumra from freaking um, yes. Thundercats. Thundercats. Like, it's very strange. Well, it's also like as you get older too, you also recognize the actors or in this case actresses that you see in this film are predominant in other situations both good and bad uh the actress who plays the evil queen bab morta if you've ever seen return to oz uh oh yeah she she plays the witch the main head or the bad woman that's in the uh the psychiatric hospital that dorothy gets submitted to she plays her so she's definitely dead on with that part and the woman who plays uh, uh, Giselle or Gazelle, what, whatever the better uh, female wizard supposed to be, uh, she's in uh, Neverending Story as one of the two people that uh, take care of the Luck Dragon and are researching when uh, he Atreyu comes to. She's the one that feeds him all the medicine. She's the medicine woman. So, I mean, it's different ways that you find all these characters, but I think one of the reasons that it didn't do too well is that, I mean, this is way before the internet, and people were probably like, oh, George Lee's making a new movie. Okay, so who from Star Wars is in it? Uh, well, do you know the the Ewok? <laughs> like, well, the kid who played the Ewok in that movie is going to be the main of that. And people at the time are just like, don't know who that is, didn't see his face, don't really care. Um... Of course, he also plays the leprechaun. <laughs> yep. Again, don't see his face. Don't, don't can't put a <laughs> can't put a name with a face because I think that's kind of the downfall of Warwick Davis was his earlier career and then the, his longevity of his career was all under makeup. Um, although he he definitely has a very recognizable voice, but uh, I mean, there's other movies like if you've seen Legend or Krull. Uh, this is similar in that aspect, and I yep. just think it's much better than both of them because, I mean, like, I, I'll go back to it again. Val Kilmer is, like, one of my most favorite characters in this movie. Mad Mardigan. 
the, the lines he says, and that, it's just great. But yeah, he's he he's amazing, and for a large portion of the movie, the only normal sized, um, you know, human being in a large portion of the movie, because you know they take you to the world of uh, in Willow. What do they refer to the the halflings as? It's the, uh, the, it's Elwins. Elwins, that's it. And, and they uh, refer to it, the large people as Daikinis. Daikini, you stole the Daikini. I stole him from you while you were taking a pee pee. <laughs> the brownies. <laughs> we'll get to uh, them. Yeah, which uh, <laughs> I love the fact going back, re- recognizing that one of the brownies is Kevin Pollock, like he's one of his so earlier uh, acting gigs, and he's he's great as one of the brownies, and th- they're very good at just putting in little characters like for a few moments that you still can care about. Uh, I think that's kind of why it's disappointing. It wasn't big when it was, but clearly Disney sees this as, I mean, we've like, we've talked about, there's been the Lord of the Rings trilogy. There's the dark crystals becoming popular again. They've got the star Wars property technically (laughs) coming to a close for the main whole arc of that series i know they're saying they're going to be doing more movies but got a feeling it'll be quite a different uh scenario but they definitely seem to think that yes this film should have had more attention back when is and i think now is a good time as any to reintroduce it or renovate it for their new disney plus streaming service right and i think they're seeing you know it's kind of like disney disney kind of like nintendo um has a way of being safe about things like this. And they're not the first to the streaming game, but they're doing a good job at it. I mean, that you to show up with the Mandalorian and have, okay, this is the first show we're going to produce for our streaming service. And you look at it and go, wow, this is not a show that you just kind of half thought about. You know what I mean? Um, they wait until they're kind of ready a lot of the time, regardless of what you think the quality of what they make is. They're, they're, not a taking chances kind of a company they they kind of know they're going to make money before they get into stuff now um and so when they say we're going to do willow like if if um george lucas had come out and still owned it and said i'm going to make a willow show there's probably a 30 percent chance is actually going to happen um if disney says they're doing it they've already thought it through they haven't made it yet they haven't wrote it but they want something that can compete against the lord of the rings show um which is coming and the Witcher show. And um, they probably saw the success of the Dark Crystal, which again is the now split half of Jim Henson from them and seeing like, crap, we could have had that, you know. Um, so hopefully I- I'm-, I'm hoping with that, you know, they start looking at their other properties. I would love an actual, I, I won't say a good Muppet show because I've liked all the Muppet shows they've done. But imagine if they did a Muppet like miniseries where each episode was taking on a different movie property, right? The best right. Muppet stuff. I mean, they do that. And... Technically, HBO's doing that with the Sesame Street things, and those are massively popular, and they kind of dropped off the uh, map with doing all that stuff. But I just remember those were like super hilarious, really short takes on popular movies but i think disney could easily do um muppet movies which i think that like they have that property they're probably going to do that but they have a lot to focus on right now and i am quite shocked that they are choosing to do more willow uh i mean we're very fortunate that warwick davis is still around and acting uh to possibly come back as the main character uh unfortunately 
some other members of the cast. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's been over 20 years since it came out, so some of them have passed on, some of them not in physical condition to re-do uh, their roles, but it would be interesting. I could definitely see them uh, bringing Warwick back to kind of, like, pass on, similar to how they've done the current Star Wars trilogy, is the old cast comes back to pass it on to a new generation. Um, do you think they, because obviously, you know, as the years go by, there's less and less, um, you know, people of shorter stature um, acting. Um, you know, like you said, a lot of them have died out. And, you know, so you've got your, you know, um, what's his name there? Game of Thrones guy. I love him to death. Brain shutting off. Yep, I know exactly <laughs> who you're talking what's about. What's his but... name? I, I, I love yeah. the guy. Uh, but, I mean, do you get like Warwick Davis and him and, uh, and do you get a whole bunch of you know, right. short actors, li- little actors, that, or I think they actually or, would appreciate something like that. Like th- it's not like they're bringing brought back as something that's a little bit more um, disrespectful. Like we're hiring, we're making a Christmas movie. We want you to play elves, like super right, stereotypical. Exactly. It's a movie that it's like it's just because there's a village of you, but th- that doesn't mean anything else other than uh, that. Well, for you're, example. For example, The Hobbit, you know, the Lord of the Rings films, they chose to shrink normal size actors. And that's fine. I mean, that's kind of how The Hobbits are described anyway. But I don't know if that's more offensive. Do you know what I mean? And And by the way, it's Peter Dinklage. Peter Dinklage. Uh, Why why couldn't I come up with freaking Dinklage? It's what happens when you get older and you have kids, folks. This is kind of what happens. You're like, oh, what's the name of that? famous singer that she sings all those songs oh that's right her name's beyonce i I didn't think like like names you should remember just just kind of go away but so uh, then then there's the next question do they get val kilmer back because if kevin smith was able to land val kilmer then i bet lucasfilm can yeah i'm sure they that that for this type of production he would uh my question is if like I know he's getting up there in age, and I mean, there are plenty of actors older than him that have been able to get into peak physical condition for uh, shows, movies, what have you, but um, I know there's been rumors for the past couple of years he's had health issues, but I don't want to uh, pour gasoline on that rumor fire, but I would love definitely to see him come back as Mad Mardigan, even if he's older, and they do the whole thing of like, Maybe he's too old for adventuring now, and he can't really do it, and then he proves everybody wrong. I'd love to see that, because I I like actors like that that uh, you grow up with kind of fade away for one reason or another, and then they get this resurgence out of seemingly nowhere, or they get an opportunity like this presented to them where they can show they've still got what it takes to be a predominant actor or actress. Um, So yeah, I would love to see him come back as well basically getting as many people back as they could, because I think the more familiar faces you have in this, the more chances of it being a success, as opposed to if say they just get Warwick Davis, it's going to be somewhat of a hard sell um, right, to get right. people to and, get and it, invested in it. And that's a bummer. I, I'd say Willow has a better chance. If Willow was a new property today, Willow has a much better chance of succeeding. If they made the same movie, <laughs> right? 
um, as it, than it did then. It's surprising to me, but you're right. They didn't have a face to sell the movie on. It's like why um, Labyrinth did better than The Dark Crystal, because they David Bowie brought people in. And I mean, you know? yes, they had Val Kilmer, who had some 80s predominantly, but I mean, most people know him as the blonde guy from, uh, oh, great, I can't think of the name of the quirky comedy he was in at the moment, but uh, he, like, he looked completely different than he did in is his comedic roles. that the man with roles. one red shoe? No, that is... No, what's that other spy type movie? What was it called? Johnny Dangerously? Uh, that's no. not the one that I'm thinking of at the moment, no. Um, we suck at this game. Yeah. This is this like I said, this is what happens when all of a sudden you're put on the spot and you're like, oh, let's think of this. Oh, nope, can't think of it. No, it's all good. That's what makes it more fun. No script, ladies and gentlemen. Um <laughs> so do you know the fun piece of trivia um about real ge- the name? Sorry, real, real genius. genius. There we go. Dude, and funny I, and story obviously actually Top Gun came out before this as well, so He's not recognizable to people that know him from either Real Genius. Uh, apparently, he was his first movie was Top Secret, and then he did Top. Top Secret Gu- I was thinking of, and then he did Top Gun before he did a few TV movies, and then he did Willow. So I think it's just that not really recognizable in this role, but I mean, still one of his best. So, and it's a hard sell genre, like you know, it's not. This wasn't putting butts in seats. Like big movies made money. But, you know, you weren't you weren't going to go just make a fantasy movie. It'll be fine. <laughs> you know, <Right. laughs> that wasn't happening. No. Um, it, it worked with Star Wars by almost sheer accident, um, which is great. But uh, so the piece of trivia, um, yeah. do you know the name of the two headed incredible stop motion dragon that the um, monkey creature thing that they fight at the castle is called? Oh, I, I, I'm sure I at one point knew it. I, I mean, I, I want to go with the name Gorgon. I know that's probably wrong, or so. Uh, no, that's so, a good one. Yeah. But so it's it's so George Lucas wasn't happy. Yes, I, I know you. what it is. Yes, it's the it's, Ebert sis. Yes, or the Siskabert. <laughs> yeah, yep. It took me a minute, but I was like, the second you said like <laughs> George Lucas wasn't happy with reviews, I'm like, oh yeah, I know. I remember. Yes, uh, now, and that that thing terrified me as a kid that was the one scene in the film where i'm like nope don't want to watch this part because that that i mean in the 80s there's plenty of creepy monsters in movies that are technically family friendly but that thing just freaked me out beyond belief oh it was it was otherworldly it had like an eldritch horror like unspoken because it looked like a dragon but it didn't and it like pulsated it was terrifying (laughs) i the, the late 80s had this and early nineties had this wonderful where stop motion special effects were still cheaper. Um, and they were at the top of their game. So like this movie had great stop motion creatures. Um, what's it all? Uh, the Coneheads had a great stop motion creature at the end of it. Um, there were a couple other ones where you just look back and you go, man, it would have been really cool to see people still try to use this. Um, George Lucas actually spent a lot of time making the creature fight from the end of attack of the clones look as stop motion and Harry Hawson like as possible, which I thought was really cool. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of really cool effects considering this was made in 88. I mean, yes, yeah, star Wars was 
groundbreaking for this stuff, which I think was what led Lucas to say, let's take a risk on this thing. And also, if people don't know this, this is actually based on a book series. Um, so that's something that I need to pick up and read as well. I keep I forgetting about it. Uh, yeah, it's the first book, I believe, is called Willow. I could be wrong, but um, it's a series called The Chronicles of the Shadow War. So there's definitely more to be written of this story. Um, but, I mean, there's just like a lot of weirdness of this film. And I'm curious to see how much Disney adapts. I mean, the Dark Crystal series has a lot of fans about that. And that was really well done. And I like that Disney's kind of going back to older properties and renovating them in a way that doesn't feel like they're just rebooting them to get a cash grab. Like, they have actually invested with people that they know are the right fit to be doing it. I think one good example is the DuckTales series. Oh, it's so good. When they renovated that, there were questions of whether or not it would work. I mean, they went out of their way and got the like best cast they could to do all the voices, let alone David Tennant being Scrooge McDuck. Uh, is absolutely wonderful. And then they use that to test the waters. Um, I don't know if you've seen the Darkwing Duck episode yet. Oh my God. But it's like, I've only seen like five episodes of the show and that's one of them. And oh my God, it's so good. But I mean, they perfectly, like people are like, well, what are they going to do? Rehash the old actors that were doing it or there's not going to be a way they can make it fresh. And I won't spoil it because this is somewhat new. This is like within the past year. Um, yeah, not everybody's yeah. caught up, especially with Disney Plus, you can catch up. But the way they set up that they could easily jump into a series of Darkwing Duck now is like, like it was, I, I don't know how to really describe it beyond it was like very well done. And it, it goes outside of the fandom. Like right. what I think is great is you can tell, and this is the argument I give back to people that get angry at Disney, be be angry at them for being an evil corporation trying to make money, sure. But when you reboot a show like DuckTales and you take the base foundation of what made that great and you keep all of that and build on it, but then go, hey, and again, this is not going to blow it, just to say, hey, we also think that people that would be the fans of this who have grown up with this are probably really big, obscure comic book fans. You know what I mean? So we're going to go and do a story like that. And you just sit there and go, what is even happening right now? You know, and I, I love it. it. It reminds me a lot of the way, you know, when, when the Batman, the animated series first came out and you're like, Batman's been done to death. How can they do this? Because I remember being a kid watching it and going, OK, it's just going to be are they going to be silly like the Adam West ones or is it going to be dark like the Tim Burton ones? And it was its own thing. And it just built on the existing mythology so well. And people forget that, you know, when these animated shows that we hold in such high regard now came out in the early 90s, they were already rehashes of stuff, right? Disney isn't the first group of people that have done this, right? So it can be done well if you put the right people on it. You just got to give it a chance. And they, you're right. They're, they're again, they're only trying to make money, but they're making money by also not alienating their fan base out out of existence right and i mean people will harp on that forever with disney i mean my take is like they take in properties that they feel are worth investing in and they invest in properly they don't go buying up things just to buy up 
And it's kind of like, I look at it almost like baseball trades or purchases. Like you want that great player. You're going to have to take on this other player who's not great, but costs a whole lot. And that's how they look at it is like, Hey, we kind of want like this extra star Wars stuff or these Marvel properties that Fox owns. Yeah. Well, you're going to have to buy the whole library if that's what you want. Disney's got the money and that's kind of what they've got to do. So, but I mean, that's my personal take on it. Uh, I, I am biased towards Disney, uh, but I, I do acknowledge that they have their faults, but what corporation doesn't? Monopolies no, exactly. are great. We won't go into those details because I'm sure that could take a whole other podcast to well, go down the road. That's into. the thing, right? If if my four auteur best friend directors who I personally know and know they're not trying to make money off of me made everything in the world, I wouldn't enjoy it. <laughs> you know, right. you need you need people that are just going to come and invest and, and maybe take your control out of it a little bit and kind of guess on what you might want. That's how stuff gets better. I mean, for, for everyone arguing that the new star Wars movies feel like they're making it up as they go along. George Lucas was making it up as he went along. Right. <laughs> you know, and I like seeing people being able to try new things. Um, it's, it's crazy. Uh, that we got here from Willow, but, um, <laughs> uh, well, that, that's what happens, but uh, oh, I love. I think just no, wrapping no, up okay. Willow. Um, well, I, I, I wanted to say a, a point about the the Ducktales show, though. Yes. Something where you start to feel your age is when I can both say that I think the Ducktales show is great, but also I am absolutely not a fan of new animation styles on the current run of television shows. I can't deal with it, and it. It ticks me off that I feel that way. I feel the same way about the She-Ra show. I think the She-Ra show is great. It's incredibly well written. I hate looking at it. <laughs> it makes me feel old. <laughs> yeah, I think that's part of it. But uh, there's only some cartoons that I just like. I I nope out of. What I do enjoy are the new like the new Mickey Mouse shorts they've come out with. Only because it somewhat reminds me of the Ren and Stimpy animations from it's, back in the day. It's Bumpco. It's Spumco. Right. It's the people that took over for Ren and Stimpy when they yeah. fired Kripalski. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, that that I like. Some things are a little off-putting, but, I mean, it's it's at least animation still being done in some format. Yes. So that, that's the way that's I try I'm, to look at it. That's why I'm saying it. I feel my age because I look at it and go, this isn't for me, but I still like it. But I know that children just eat it up. They just oh, yeah. love that new animation style. And you know what? It's for them. It's not for me. No. Like, That's the thing so... a lot of the adults that are complaining about, like, oh, they rebooted, uh, I forget what it was, Thundercats in the style of, uh, I can't think of what series it was close to. It looked uh, like Adventure Time to me. Yeah, it looked like that kind of, I mean, I knew it wasn't personally for me and I wouldn't want to watch it, but that's fine. I had my own version of the animated yes. series back in the day. This is for kids to reintroduce them. And that's what's popular right now. Um, no, Steven versus the Universe, sir. That's the one. Steven, Steven Universe. Universe. That's that's the type of animation they were going for. But I mean, I kind of like the reboot that came before that one. That didn't last, unfortunately. But that's kind of how these things go: is they take a shot at rebooting it, and whether it works or not, we'll see. Um, and especially going back to Willow, I mean, yeah. it wasn't. It was just announced today. Uh, so, like, who knows if this is going to be followed through. Like you said, though, Disney normally won't announce something unless they're definitely doing it uh, in some capacity. So it could just be like, oh, well, we're going to do, like, a short 
13 episode series, see how it does. So knowing the people Disney has in their collaborator camp, because they seem to be going back to the well with a lot of people, right? Like they've, they definitely course corrected. I won't say course corrected Esther after Ryan Johnson, because I think the last Jedi is awesome, but they course corrected away from potentially having Colin Trevorrow make their third very important Star Wars film and went back to a safe bet with J.J. Abrams. I mean, the guy right. the guy didn't fuck up The Force Awakens, so of course you go back to him, right? Um, right. But they seem to be really big into Jon Favreau. Like, Jon Favreau did The Jungle Book and The Lion King, both highly successful in my opinion. I like The Jungle Book better because it's not just a shot-for-shot remake, but I thought The Lion King was beautifully done. But he's the Mandalorian guy, you know? So yeah, I, I got the they, feeling that they they might even reach out to Ron Howard. I mean, that's that was what his I would, property that's exactly in the first place. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think that he would be a perfect fit. Um, but I mean, they also had an episode of The Mandalorian done by his daughter. So yes. she could even come in and give her shot. Like he could be the initial writer and whatnot. But I think similar to The Mandalorian, it's there's going to be a predominant writer or maybe producer, director type deal, but there'll be guest directors for each episode. And I think that that's a good way for them to be also testing out the waters. If they're going to maybe, I don't know, pick up a sci-fi Marvel series in theaters. Right. This is a good way to test the waters to see if someone's got the chops to handle maybe something bigger than a, a Disney plus series that they're doing. Uh, but I mean, so far I've loved the Mandalorian. It's, uh, someone put it out there on Twitter that it reminds them almost of the old Xena, where a princess yes. type shows that it's supposed to be schlocky, like not super amazingly well acted characters that you invest in, but they're gone after an episode. I mean, um, there's a series that I used to watch that I wish lasted for longer than two seasons. Similarly, also done by Sam Rami, well, not surprisingly, uh, called the... Legend of the Seeker. Um, if that you like based Willow, on the Sword of Truth novels, right? That was what? Based on the Sword of Truth novels, right? Yes. Yeah, that um, was. I, I liked that. It was a really good series, but it got canceled. They wrapped up really quick. It's a, it's just a good example of what could potentially happen with a property like Willow. It could have a good first opening season, but then Disney either doesn't know what to do with it from there. Or the numbers, streaming-wise, don't come back the way they were hoping for. Uh, I mean, Disney Plus just came out in November, so, I mean, we still got a ways to see if even The Mandalorian will definitely get a second season. I'm guessing because it's really their only series right now, it will get there. Um, but we'll, we'll have to wait and see how the Willow trilogy, uh, Willow series, excuse me. Uh, Willow trilogy, oh. <laughs> well, it, if, I believe it's a trilogy of books. Trilogy, I... I probably would have had a heart attack. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it'll be interesting because I also see them definitely trying to do like stop animation for the monsters if there are any. I, I like that they're kind of with the Star Wars uh, movies that they've been doing. They're trying to do half and half with the special effects and CGI uh, just because it, it feels it has a better feeling and a better look. When it's actually something like uh, the fact that they fought to have a animatronic puppet of the baby Yoda in the series is yeah. 
it definitely makes a difference than having something that's blatantly CGI sitting there that you can like it looks realistic, but you know in your heart that they're probably staring at a tennis ball. Uh, for television, to, uh, yeah, for television above anything else, the more you can do practical for television because television digital effects are going to look cheap anyway. So, so the more you can yes. do practical. Yeah, the practical looks to some people, it doesn't look as good, but it's going to sell it better. Um, I think it looks better anyway. Um, I loved the, the Dark Crystal who knew that, you know, as- alongside puppets, digital effects always look terrible. That they used digital effects for large sweeping shots and to world build and to show how large the scale of everything was. But the minute a character went from like flying through the sky or doing something really crazy and went off camera and came back on as a puppet. And I'm like, this is awesome. They're, they're doing this the right way, you know? Um, and I love, uh, Ardman who do, um, the stop motion, uh, Wallace and Gromit movies and all of that. They did a movie called pirates band of misfits that I love and no one saw it. And because the whole movie took place on the water, and because they found with Flushed Away that water was so hard to do that they had to do the movie digitally. Um, but they still pulled out keyframes and stuck thumbprints and stuff on the digital models. So they looked stop motion, which I thought was great. In Pirates Band of Misfits, they did the whole thing on green screen. So they did all the stop motion still. And they and um, What's It Leica does this too, where most of the set is fake. But the things that the stop motion puppets have to interact with are really there. So whatever you see in the foreground is what your eyes are catching attention on and everything else is window dressing. The, the Saga Dreamcast was actually able to pull this trick um, with video games. Their games looked so much better than Nintendo's 64, 64-bit processor because the Dreamcast had two 64-bit processors in it to make itself be 128-bit. It had one for doing 2D and one for doing 3D. So what they did was they made their characters and the really close-up stuff really push the 3D hard, and then everything else was just a 2D flat background. And it made the games look better than Nintendo trying to build full 3D worlds that they had to do that, like, fog with. And it's amazing when someone learns how to use their technology to give you a better looking full product than just, oh, the most complicated digital effect character you'll ever see. Because sometimes less is more. Definitely. Like, imagine if Avatar had been stop motion. Uh, that would probably be more difficult and to had imagine. And had a better script. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. It, it, the theme park is better than the movie. Yeah. Of course uh, it is. Uh, he got involved. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, we can get into that too if you desire. But I know that we were talking about the Willow series, but I yes. don't really have much more on than that. Uh, I mean, my talking about it probably your listeners could probably assume that I really loved watching and enjoying this movie to the point my eldest daughter is named after one of the characters. Really? Um, and and I've been wanting like I've been had that decision that if I had a daughter, I would name her after Willow's wife, and the name is Kaya. Uh, oh, I love it. But I've had that in my mind since becoming a huge fan of this film and 
like rewatching it over and over again, I'm just like, that's such a unique and wonderful sounding name. Uh, fortunately, my wife equally agreed, uh, came close to having the name taken by another relative, oddly enough, without knowing that this was a choice that we had pre-made. Um, and fortunately enough, had a daughter to begin with. So that was her name. So that's how she ended up with that name. But that's how that movie has an extra close place in my heart because my eldest daughter. That's awesome, dude. Uh, that I love hearing stories like that, especially when it's like something so meaningful and not just like random that a celebrity is like, I'm going to call my kid this. And you're like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and someone's like, no, that's, that's a beautiful name. Yeah. I need to meet your kids. Yep. Well, we'll plan on that sometime, but I mean, it, it's kind of like my name. It's, you don't hear it very often. And when you do, it's like, wow, that's really random. Uh, when we took her on our first trip to Disney, we did the stereotypical thing of getting her first, very first haircut at the Disney barbershop girl yeah. next to her also named Kaya, like super random and weird. So and, th- and that is exactly why this Willow series is being made. That barber went and talked <laughs> to yeah, Disney and was like, hey, two people, two people in the same place had a name from this movie. Come on, we'll do it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. No. So the, the, <laughs> the other amazing thing about Willow is, you know, it, that it was a it was a big money making disaster because it was huge. It wasn't yeah. like a small, like self-contained little movie, giant sprawling sets. I mean, it was, it was, you know, I won't say Lord of the Rings huge, but it was getting there. It was a big, I don't know if it it wasn't exactly money making disaster. I think like, uh, I mean, it made back its budget, but like in today's terms, just barely, uh, I mean, they had a $35 million estimated budget according to IMDb opening weekend only made about 80 million gross USA made 57 million. And that's actually the worldwide gross because, um, I mean, this is back in the 80s when things really didn't get overseas unless it was huge. Right. Um, so I think that that's why they considered it a flop. They were hoping maybe the next Star Wars. Uh, right, right. Like they were maybe going Sorry, to do more movies. disaster. Yeah. Because they marketed the hell out of it. I mean, there was video games and then it all just disappeared. Oh, yeah. Let's not get into the video games. Those things are awful. <laughs> most most movie tie-in games are yeah uh, yeah i mean it, for a movie tie-in game it's okay uh but nothing nothing that you should try to go dig up and play i mean it, it's weird that there was an arcade version of it as well but yeah uh, it's one of those things it's like it was definitely made to just eat up quarters it had a name of a movie that was coming out that is it but uh, yeah, so I guess the last I could say is I'm excited, and yeah. hopefully this uh, turns out well. I mean, if you're not familiar with the property, it's on Disney+. Plus. If you want an idea of probably what we're getting for, probably take Game of Thrones a little bit and make it a lot take, more family-friendly. Yeah, take out all the incest. All of it. <laughs> incest, nudity, everything that makes that show great, take it out. Replace it with 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 um, hobbits, basically. Yeah, a lot more Tyrion, a lot more Tyrion Lannister, less of the. Uh, well, well, 
Yeah, no. There's definitely hard <laughs> drinking in it. I remember that. Yes. Yes. Pint-sized people drinking, just not Tyrion-sized. Much smaller. And the, uh, the villain, Bav Morda's uh, little crew of cronies are terrifying. And I remember that the uh, her knight that she had, I uh, can't remember his name, and General Call. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he was, like, if you grew up watching He-Man and Skeletor was your thing, like, he was, like, the like the live action version of that. Let's not talk about the He-Man movie from the eighties. Uh, but uh, this, this was like as close as you could get. And he was terrifying and you definitely bought him as a complete villain. Um, just really well done. Uh, again, I, I don't know if there's really much else to say other than we keep going. It's a great movie. It's a great movie. It's a great movie. It's a great movie. Great series. <laughs> That's kind um, of the point. Though. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so again, what, like, if you, you know, we've, we've got, we know Warwick Davis, if they're making Willow, he has to be coming back. Um, maybe Val Kilmer. Well, um, I mean, Val Bav Kilmer's Morda. doing the, the uh, Top Gun reboot, I guess. So, I, I mean, I, I can't see him not doing this. Didn't his character die? I have no, n- no, that is um, the guy no, that from was... ER. Yeah, you're right. His Anthony name. Daniel. Yeah, Anthony Daniel. Is that who it was? Anthony I... Daniels? I no, that's, that's not C-3PO. it. Yeah, you're, you're very making me agree to. Yes, that's it. No, it's not. Yes, it, no, not. Oh, this is. I know this, exactly this who you're mess. talking about, though. He died. Yes. Yes. Um, but, um, I mean, and that, and the, like, unfortunately, the great Billy Barty passed on like over a decade ago. Uh, got a, well. I mean, you've got like the possibility of people like. Kevin Pollack, if he wants to redo that, uh, uh, if you want to bring back uh, Tony Cox, who's a very minor character in the film, now has a very predominant film career. Um, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure that um, a lot of the people who were dwarfs um, in the cast i mean there, there's there, stats there on like this is the biggest casting call for dwarfs of like almost any film at the time um but i mean i'm sure there's plenty of people they could bring back as faces uh to the series that are still acting and still available but um again this is a whole wait and see like I- i'm curious if they would bring back joanne whaley as sorsha because uh don't know how her and Val Kilmer get along <laughs> since uh, they divorced a couple of a de- decade or so ago. So, I mean, the, the funny thing is, is Willow is where they met. But, I mean, there have been plenty of people that are professional enough to work together again. So, I, I think it's just a matter of time to see if everything works out. But ho- I'm hoping it does, and I'm hoping that the uh, series is just as well appreciated as the current Mandalorian series. I mean, they could also do that and have it be Warwick Davis as Willow, super low budget, have a familiar face pop up every now and then or for a couple of episodes, and that's what we get. And if that is, I'm just perfectly happy to see something like that. I I like this idea, like how the Dark Crystal was done, of people making a show but doing it in a way that if they do a season of it, 
they kind of close out the arc that they were telling because right. it allows it allows for you to take it in accept it if they make more and you, you don't like the more that they make you can just accept what was there <laughs> you know i i feel that way strongly and i'm going to be doing this in another episode with some close friends soon but if you haven't watched the Watchmen show that's exactly what they did there they made a full story and i'm really impressed with damon lindelof of making a full story and ending it <laughs> in a way that you don't need more for it to be good right and that made me really happy i still so have hoping... not seen that and i'm hoping to find a way to watch it as i am not an hbo subscriber so it's we'll wonderful. see <laughs> but uh yeah um and you know dark crystal the same way right like they gave you enough that you could be happy with it because you're getting some cool backstory but if they give me more there's more ground to cover so that that's awesome definitely um and i mean i'm just ecstatic that they're doing this it'll be interesting uh, see what characters they bring back and stuff, but I mean, it's uh, this is all hypothetical at this point until they announce yes. anything officially. Um, I mean, they announced the Mandalorian was a series, what a year ago, more, uh, more than that, and people were like, "Yay, can't wait to see it!" It's a Boba Fett movie. No, it's it's not. <laughs> Thank God and, it wasn't a Boba yeah. Fett show. <laughs> no, I mean it's technically his people but it's it's a little bit more of like a it's not what people thought it was and that's what it's going to be is speculation i mean we could be looking like i said this isn't going to be something created anytime soon um a lot of these actors are locked up probably for projects within the next year so we'll see exactly exactly well dude <laughs> i'm i'm so excited um, and dude, it, it's it's awesome to have you on finally. I uh, did you make it out to PAX Unplugged, by the way? I did not. Unfortunately, um, a lot of other things came up, and basically, it's one of those things of like, yeah, I'm definitely going to go. I, I can make it affordable and all this other stuff. Um, unfortunately, the way I go to cons nowadays is I do volunteer work either for uh, uh company called take this which if you're not familiar with it i highly recommend you go look it up they're trying to end the stigma around uh, depression in the gaming industry um but they are normally who i vo do volunteer work for um i also tried to volunteer as a enforcer which basically like security directional informational people for pax events um and unfortunately i just couldn't get the funds together uh the cost of the trip and stay would have been too great for just myself. I'd be away from work and my kids and family for that whole time. It was just a lot of factors didn't work in. Whereas PAX East, it's the home convention. It's a 20, 30 minute trip on a train and that's it. And I can come home every day. I don't have to pay for a hotel. Uh, it's just less stressful. Uh, yes. Um, agree. And I even had friends that went, said it was a little bit too much. So I am hopefully going to go to PAX East again this year. Um, I've been there every year and really enjoyed it. Uh, spending time with you and showing you around as a brand new person to PAX East was great. Um, and getting to introduce you and so thrilled that you were able to go with your wife as well. That was great to see. 
uh, oh, people going it. and enjoying it. Um, I think it's definitely something that you've got to experience at least once in your life is go to your local con, find out what's going on. There's got to be at least one within reasonable driving distance. Go to it, even if you're moderately interested in something there, you might find something else new. A lot of times it's easy to make a lot of cool new friends, uh, join up with a group and stuff like that. But yeah, PAX East, if you're local to Boston or it's a reasonable place for you to drive to, easy to find a place outside the city. If you can take the T from your location in, go. I highly recommend it. Um, I've debated going each year, but I always seem to go back. And I mean, at this point, because I've been every year, it's been here. I do the volunteer work mainly, as I said, for the uh, nonprofit organization, Take This, uh, mainly because of that it holds a uh, viewpoints that are very close to me. Um, and I've always ended up making close friends through volunteering with there. So uh, do check that out if you are going to PAX East, and especially if uh, you kind of have problems being around large crowds, that. Take This also provides an AFK room, which is, uh, as some people know, it's the terminology for away from keyboard, but it's a quiet, safe space to go if you need to get away from the loud raucousness of the uh, con floor or the exhibition hall that's becoming too much to you. It's a place you can just kind of go, collect yourself, move on if you need to. Um, and I'm normally at what's called the Hope Booth which is in the diversity lounge. And we kind of do the whole uh, selling merchandise in order to uh, further fund the promotion, the nonprofit organization from going to other cons and future PAX East. So, yes, that's awesome, dude. They're, they're such a wonderful group of people and such a great charity. And it was, it's so cool. It's like, yo, I'm going to be here and I'm going to be volunteering for them. And I'm like, wow, that this is all culminating into you know, I can't believe we've never met before. Yes. We have very, very similar uh, <laughs> approach. Uh, it's very weird that both you and your brother, well, I'm I'm fairly certain I've had interactions with your brother as I, I was frequently at Sunco's video. So um, yeah. I'm fairly certain that I've run into at least once prior to all this, but it's very, it's a very weird uh, turnabout how you and I became friends. Um, because, uh, I mean, let's just quickly go through this, because I don't know if I've even told you before. I'm sure I have, because I repeat myself too much. Uh, so it started off with your brother Bob uh, starting to do a video, um, I believe, tournament for um, Screw Attack when that site existed. Uh, came yep. down to between him and I believe the other competitor in the finals was Psycho Taku. Uh, yeah, you know what's funny? He didn't even enter himself into that contest. His fans did. Yikes. He <laughs> found out. He goes, well, apparently I'm in this contest now, and I'm doing really yep. well. And I'm like, yep. wait a minute, what? <laughs> so then, I I mean, I love the game over, thinker, cheesy, stupid stuff. And he frequently mentioned he had a brother. Uh, like, <laughs> no, like, not putting two and two together until he shot an episode. And I was like, that building looks familiar. That building looks familiar. Then I talking to him a little bit on Twitter, saying hi to him at the first couple of PAX East he attended, found out he's local and obviously following his stuff for a while. And only recently did you start uh, becoming part of the deal of uh, doing the 
podcast with him, uh, having your own podcast now, your own Patreon now, and obviously adding you as a friend, getting a little bit more interactive with you, um, and then finding out your your wife knows my sister and graduated yep. my high school. So uh, very odd that we live so close, but never really ended up knowing each other, although we have a lot of very weird interconnecting uh relationships outside of ourselves but i'm super glad that i get to call you a friend now and hopefully that we will be able to spend some more time together but i mean the thing that that a lot of people need to realize is that you can always have friends you don't have to go and hang out with them to be uh good friends with them and support them when you can yes Uh, and I, i feel that way with a lot of my close friends you you start realizing when you grow when you when you have children, when you get a wife, you get a house or a boyfriend, husband, you know, whatever it is, when you put your priorities on the table and you realize that life isn't just always, oh, I can be there, you know, right now at random, you know, when when you get people that forget that other people have their own life too, and that supporting them and building them up is sometimes being separate, sometimes not seeing each other all the time. And my best friends are the ones that I can see, you know, once a year, twice a year. It'd be great if I saw them more than that. And it's like, we just stopped talking an hour ago. You know what I mean? And none of the other crap matters. There's no dramatic BS about something someone said to somebody else. And like you said, I've made this whole new community of friends through doing this. And that's why I like opening up the invitation. I'd rather have someone who I'm just super good friends with on here to talk, even though it's great to get, you know, bigger names too, because it gets more people interested. And it's just cool that on Twitter, you can just say to somebody, Hey, person who's pretty well known, you want to talk to me and people like, go, yeah, sure. (laughs) How how does that happen? But, um, uh, you know, I like that I'm kind of somehow existing through this on the positive side of all of these fandoms and this, this silly website and PAX East really nailed that home for me going to PAX East. What I felt the whole time, even though the gatekeeping kind of grossness and gamer culture and film culture, it's always going to be there. It's a lot more prominent behind a computer screen than it is when you're actually out in public. And all I felt the whole time I was at PAX East was inclusion. I felt like everybody accepted that I was there and I didn't have to know, you know, every single little detail about what I was a fan of to be accepted, you know? Yeah. And I mean, I, the first I thing we did was sat down and played D and D. Yeah. I mean, that was something that you didn't have experience with. I did, but there were other people at the table also new to it. And we had fun. I mean, that's what's great about going to conventions, especially for me, it's PAX East. Uh, but you get to go kind of like things you might have heard of can introduce people to something new. I mean, we also met a couple of game creators. The indie space is so wonderful to go into. I mean, we had that uh, one guy that talked about us, about his son that made a game. He needed people to go check it out. Both of us invented ended up investing in it, and it was like... It, it's like a 187-hour-long game. These two guys made over seven years' worth of work, and it's like you find out these little stories about people that are there, probably had to fight for space to show off their game, and are just hoping that you can 
invest in part of what they do. And uh, I really enjoyed, like, uh, it's not so much for me anymore as the big companies that do announcements. I like checking those out, but those are kind of what the, like, I've been every year, and that's kind of passe to me as part of the experience. But going into, like, the tabletop area, checking out companies that I know and support already, um, and then going into the indie game area where you can find neat little games that are being developed by only a handful of people that could potentially be far more interesting than any AAA game that's about to come out. Um, but I, I, I believe you enjoyed that experience, but I'm not 100% sure. I know that you said you invested in that game, but I'm not sure if oh, there were other things that yeah, stuck no, out. So, no, that game, to so start, that was called The Great Gaius. Yes, and um, I invested in it. I love that game. I haven't been able to put more than like five hours into it, but it's really good. Um, and I actually had the guy that designed it on my show. Yes, I recalled you were setting that up, but yeah, so that so that worked out. But no, the the experience was amazing. Um, there were games with Freedom Finger. I was yep. completely blown away by how much fun Freedom Finger was. Um, there was oh thousands of other things we saw. I picked up the next day when I went with my wife we went back to the uh great west i think it was called it was great west or somebody games the tabletop area yep. where they had um pirates of the caribbean and all that stuff and i ended up buying like five or six games from them and they were so happy with the interaction that they gave us like two games for free and you got uh, to meet the creator of uh drunken quest correct Dr- drinking quest yeah jason quest. anarchy and I, and I had him on the Love. show as well yeah <laughs> um so and uh and he signed a couple copies of the game for me and um i got to meet uh one of the guys from um cyanide and happiness yes um, well which was wicked cool and uh it's always fun uh my personal favorite from not this past year but the year before was meeting uh bill amend who does foxtrot yes he was uh, there uh seeing him and getting him to sign something for me and telling him that I grew up watching that. And I think, like, for people our age, when the funny pictures were the only option for entertainment sometimes, uh, the characters he created are just perfectly example of, like, growing up, the, the little kid with the the glasses and the hair being the annoying little brother in the series, uh, like, perfectly encapsulates, like, how I felt, along with, like, it's on the par with Calvin and Hobbes, uh, Kind of yes. how I felt growing up, that whole, like, imaginative, geeky culture. And, I mean, he's been there every year that I can recall the past couple of years. So, I mean, if he's there this year, definitely go check him out. He is such a nice guy. Uh, and normally, weirdly enough, doesn't have a lot of lines when he uh, is there. So he's easily accessible in the main area. But the, it, it's... I think that's fun is that you can actually run into people that you might know from a stream that you watch, a podcast you listen to, a creator of a game that you may be playing at your current hobby store, but don't know that they just come and sell their game themselves. Uh, That's why I I highly, I I can't suggest it enough that you try to get out and do some of this stuff. Uh, Even as like, if you're an introvert, it's still like getting out of your shell a little bit you're not kind of feeling like I I know everybody feels different, but uh, being introverted myself, I kind of don't feel claustrophobic as much. 
Um, and I mean, the AFK room is why I was able to kind of get through those parts. But after I made a bunch of friends that go and I can eventually hook up with and do like lunch or they're going to a panel. So I'm going to join them or my friends are hosting a panel. I'm going to go watch that. I don't feel like I don't have a place to go or people to talk to anymore. So, um, definitely like if you can make a group of friends that are going together, even if you only know them through Twitter, that's how I made all my friends there. They happen to live somewhat reasonably close. I don't see them that often, but when I see my packs, like you said before about your best friend, you see him. It's like, you just got off the phone with them. Same with all my friends. I might see once a year and they, they live within an hour distance from me, but like you said, family comes first always. Um, but this, it's a great opportunity to just kind of get out and basically bask in the nerdy culture that is predominant in today's uh, society, fortunately. And it's, it's great to see the creator of something be the person hoofing it in the trenches to sell it to you. Like that's something I think that we forget. Even when you look at like a big company like Disney, you're talking back down star Wars and all that still at the end of the day, there's still somebody who has to do the legwork to, to pitch that to someone to go out there and sell it to you. And you get to see all of these people from the guy that made a game in his basement all the way up to, you know, the Sony's and everyone else that are there just just trying to get your attention and they're all in the same place and it's it's an, it's an experience i uh me, me and bob actually pitched um a panel for this year so i i yeah, think but, i don't know yep. when i don't I'm know when they interested tell you to see if, you, if that happens but uh, yeah i got my fingers crossed i have no idea what clout him and i bring but we thought it would be a good idea so we'll see yeah <laughs> well it's an interesting panel and uh I mean, Bob is a predominant figure at these. He's been on plenty of panels before. Um, and I recorded one of my personal favorite panels that he was on. So uh, that's hopefully comes through because that would be interesting to watch live. So don't want to spoil it further beyond that because yes. uh, I'm, I'm really hoping, crossing my fingers for you guys, um, for kind of selfish reasons that means both of you can go and not have to worry about investing in passes so also true that's that's the other that's reason. the other <laughs> reason so cool man well, well th this has been an absolute blast I, I wanted to leave you with um you know obviously you came on here saying well i don't have anything to promote but you got to promote take this which is a group that you and i both hold near and dear um so is, is there anything else you want to throw a shout out to or anybody else or anything before we wrap this up? No, mainly uh, if you guys feel that there is a, prom uh, a nonprofit organization you'd like to donate either your time or financially to uh, take a look at take this.org. Uh, they're on Twitter and obviously take this.org is their website. If you'd like to find out more information about what they do, uh, but they try to do their best of getting rid of the stigma around uh, mental issues within the specifically in the gaming community, which is a community that really needs to kind of be realized that there there are problems that a lot of companies aren't focusing on fixing. Um, but won't get into that. There's more information on the website, but they also run the AFK room at every PAX thus far. And they're trying to extend to other conventions, but 
if you want to see them at a convention that you don't see them that already, you need to contact the people that run the convention because it's not always up to uh, the organization if they can go or not. Um, but if you want to see me, usually I am at the Hope booth, which is in the Diversity Lounge. So we sell a lot of official uh, PAX pins for Take This, uh, a couple of different types of clothing, uh, plushies, and the number one seller we have, if you're familiar with the company Wormwood, who makes a lot of really cool uh, tabletop RPG dice trays, dice holders, and so forth. Uh, they make uh, little boxes of hope, which contain a little shield made from a random type of wood that they use to make their products. They're super cool and interesting. I mean, it's not useful other than display, but I know a lot of people that have uh, sensory issues kind of like having them in their pocket. They have a very smooth feel of it. There's a little bit of story to it, um, but I mean, it's, it's just another little cool little collectible thing you can add, and the donations go to funding Take This. So uh, definitely, if you have time, please check it out. And also, by all means, everybody else in the Diversity Lounge also could use your funds, so check them out yes. as well. Always always good to uh, go in and bro broaden your horizons and see uh, different types of organizations that could also use your assistance. So. But Chris, thank you so much for having me on. This has been a blast. Oh, dude, I, I this was great. So, uh, yeah, you know, go check out, take this, um, go find Reed on Twitter and get into the discussion. If you're on my um, Patreon, we do our uh, our um, patron hangouts. Try to do it once a month. Reed, I think you've been to both of them, right? So far, yes, I have. Read someone you can talk to on there. Um, uh, that's a really great way I've found to be able to reach out. Like I said, it's it's cool to see a little community. You can build your little like little sub communities here in this crazy hellscape that is the internet. Um, so again, thank you for shooting the shit with Chippa, and uh, we'll catch you all again soon.